Hey guys, Sklar Brothers here from View from the Cheap Seats podcast. And this week we have one of the best sports writers in the game. And he's got a great podcast as well. Jonah Carey joins us on the podcast. Did you have fun on View from the Cheap Seats, Jonah? I had the most fun and my commute was about 14 steps down to my living room. We did it in your living room. We're in Denver. It's a little road. uh, I'm going to call it a road victory for us all. We all There's no one I want to talk to more than who right now during these baseball playoffs than than Jonah Jonah Carey. Carey. So join us on this episode because we take the deepest dive. Let me just say there is a three a <laughs> Mordecai three, three finger, finger brown reference. There you go. That's and by there. the way, Gar Ryness is not here. I'm kissing him. I'm, I'm giving love. a shout out now. I feel like he always needs to be at least in spirit. When we love talk. to the batting stance yes. guy. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough, and to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D S T L D. You get, like, brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com right now and use the promo code FERAL and check out and get a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you like my music that's playing there, that is Les Blanks. You can check out more of their stuff at lesblanks.com. I hope you like it. I really do. Honestly, I'm not just saying it, but I really hope you like their music. And if you don't, please let me know what I can do to help you like that music. You know, if, they, if you want to hear some mandolin in that song, I'll. Uh, I'll tell them to re-record it and throw some mandolin. You want steel drums? I can give you steel drums. You want a flugelhorn? I'll give you a goddamn flugelhorn. I'm Matt Dwyer. I can make these things happen. I have a podcast. Podcasters have so much power in the world. I call up Obama all the time. I'm like, hey, dude, why don't you go do some more drone attacks? I don't care if it's illegal. I'm Matt Dwyer. I have a podcast. I tell you what to do, motherfucker. If you haven't listened to the show before, it is uh, just what that uh, Thai, 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 Thai title <laughs> uh, suggests. It's a conversation with uh, me. It's a f- sort of a more of a free-form, sort of free-wheeling type of thing. And uh, today's um, episode is uh, uh, real goddamn interesting. It's with uh, a scientist, uh, Laura Shaver, who also is the founder of the Clarity Foundation, which is, helps uh, people with ovarian cancer um, get individualized and personalized medicine. Um, she was actually, uh, well, I don't. Why would I tell you this whole story? <laughs> I was about to tell you the whole details, but I know uh, cancer is a uh, is a is a daunting a, a daunting topic, and surely one that scares the shit out of me. But uh, Ms. Shaver is a, a wonderful, uh, charming, warm person, so. You know, we, dare I say, we have fun talking about cancer. <laughs> uh, 
a subject often in my brain. It's one of the reasons I can't smoke marijuana because I'll like just I'll start feeling a tension in my shoulder, and then about five minutes later, I'm convinced I have a tumor instead of uh, just a pulled muscle or something. Uh, I'm a I'm a real, real death obsessed guy, which I'm sure that makes you want to date me, doesn't it? Guy who just thinks about death and doom all the time. Real fun to real sunshine to wake up next to. Um, I hope. Uh, you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Here's my conversation with super fancy scientist, Laura Shaw. Now we're recording, Laura Shaver. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to... Uh, uh, just so my listeners know, we d- we tried to record this once, and we had a we had a technical issue. So I do so in, just in case we reference our other conversation, they know where where that's coming from. People know what we're talking about. Yeah, I, that we're really not crazy, and that um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we probably are crazy, but uh, that we're not crazy in that way. I'm a raging lunatic, so I'm. Mean, uh, <laughs> and just to, just to help you out, Laura, I am wearing uh, pajama pants, slippers, and a flannel. So if that. Uh, oh, that, I. <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing you, three different kinds of uh, plaid, so I it look like a uh, rodeo clown. A and is your dog there? And is he wearing plaid or is she wearing plaid? Uh, he he's uh, he's wearing yeah he's wearing plaid as well and hopefully we'll keep chewing on his uh, rawhide so he won't interrupt us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to start off with because uh, uh, you you founded the Clarity Foundation and I wanna I wanna get into what that is exactly later but. Your background was as a, what is the, you're a scientist. Yeah, so I'm a scientist by training. I'm actually, my PhD is in pharmacology and that's the study of drugs and how they work in a, in, you know, in the human body. And I, um, because I'm old, I, I, I'm a classically trained pharmacologist. We're a dying breed, but I got my PhD in 1984 and, Classically trained pharmacologist just means, you know, drug metabolism and toxicology, but that was the early 80s, and when I finished my PhD, it was the sexy thing to to clone something. Of course, any high school student can do that now, but at really? the time, it, oh, yeah, for what sure, is- and, and high school students do it all the time. Probably sixth graders can do it now, but, you know, that, um, you, you know, you can buy these kits and anybody can do it, and um, pretty soon, everybody will, uh, you know, we'll all have DNA sequ- sequencers in our in our living room, and we'll all be sequencing our DNA every day too. But uh, um, anyway, I I retrained myself as a cell and molecular biologist, so I could get into that space of you know that hot area of um, cloning DNA back then. And uh, now i I'm a drug developer, and I develop cancer drugs for a living, but uh, yes, I founded the Clarity Foundation because I feel passionate about um, bringing something called molecular profiling to uh, people with cancer, and in particular, women that are battling ovarian cancer. And you had, yeah, and that was, um, you had, you specialized in, in cancer drug drugs for, that's that's my uh, idiot 
brain coming out. <laughs> yeah. I'm not very science savvy. Oddly, my my girlfriend is studying to be a biotech, so she's oh. she's uh, very excited to be. Oh, well, that's good. Well, we all probably know somebody with cancer, and yes, um, I've been developing cancer drugs and helped to develop the, the a cancer drug called Sutent, which is on the market now for uh, kidney cancer and certain types of stomach cancer. And also, just what's your dog's name? Charlie. Charlie, what kind of dog is he? He's a weird, uh, he's some kind of uh, terrier because he's got a big beard. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I helped to develop a drug called Palladia, which is for mast cell tumors in dogs. And certain breeds, now, I, I think um, not necessarily a terrier, but smaller dogs are uh, can be more susceptible to these mast cell tumors, and there isn't any treatment for them, but now there is because of this drug called Palladia. And so you're a veterinarian would know about it if, if he ever gets a mast cell tumor. But He does um, smoke. He smokes and he oh. drinks a lot of, lot of, lot of uh, Budweiser. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, that might prevent it, actually. Who knows? But... Uh, no, I guess um, seriously, we should not smoke. I don't know about the drinking part, but um, smoking is the number one way to prevent cancer is to not to smoke. And for if anybody knows anybody with lung cancer, we know that that's no fun. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, and but then, then you. So this was your 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 field of specialty for a while, and then you. How long you were diagnosed with? ovarian cancer. Then I had a big shock, right. When I was 49, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, had a big grapefruit-sized tumor, and, um, well, I must have been there for a long, long time, and I didn't know it, but um, then I I knew it, and uh, it had to come out, and I was, yeah, pretty shocked. It's a very shocking thing when when you're diagnosed with cancer, and and uh, but I I thought that um, you know being a drug developer that I would approach it from a scientific standpoint and thought oh I'm just gonna get my tumor profile because that's what we used to do that's what we do when we're doing drug development is we try to understand what's the molecular makeup of somebody's cancer and how can you use that to help choose a treatment and anyway I was so shocked that ovarian cancer has been treated exactly the same for about 40 years there's been no advances nobody nobody would profile my tumor they didn't even know what it was and so i after my big surgery i got the same thing that everybody had gotten for everybody has had for a long long time and that's six cycles of carbotaxol and um, then the really scary part came, which is you start to look at the statistics and about how many women recur, you know, have their ovarian cancer come back once they, they're treated with this uh, primary treatment. And, you know, about uh, 75% of people with late stage disease, their cancer comes back and then the doctors don't know what to do. And there's lots of different treatments that they can take, but none of them work very well. And so um, this is really all about how do we find drugs that give people a better chance when they recur. And 
uh, and I want to I want to go into that a little bit further. But but what? Why was the reason it didn't the the uh, approach to treatment hadn't changed much in 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 the forty years? Was that just uh, well, they couldn't figure it out, or or that lazy? We yeah, as you know, as scientists, we uh, I take it as a uh, you know I feel embarrassed that we haven't been able to figure it out. But that's exactly it. We haven't been able to figure it out. Certainly not for lack of trying, because but uh, because there's been lots of drugs that people have attempted to use in ovarian cancer, but they've failed. And of course, now we we have a better understanding of why drugs fail. And it's because we're all different. And, um, you know, and, and everybody's, the population is very heterogeneous. So the best way to describe this is Let's say, well, we can't use ovarian cancer because you don't have an ovary. We can't use prostate cancer because I don't have a prostate. (laughs) I know a guy from Korea who steals them, so I can get Oh, (laughs) I got a couple ovaries sitting in some formalin. You can have those. (laughs) Christmas presents. Um, um, anyway, but let's use lung cancer because we started about that with with the whole smoking thing. So um, if, if um, you and I had lung cancer um, and we understood what was driving the growth of that lung cancer, they would be very different. Um, and uh, but if you had lung cancer and I had colon cancer, they maybe the makeup would be the way that the tumor cells grow would be very similar. So if we both had lung cancer, we sh- we would, you know, we probably should be treated differently. But if I had colon cancer, maybe we would be treated with the same drugs. And if you line 100 people up against a wall with lung cancer, you know, maybe, you know, you could divide them up into, you know, 25%. And maybe there's 25% of us would get one drug and 25% another and so on. But for ovarian cancer and certain other kinds of difficult-to-treat cancers, you line 100 people up against a wall and you look at how many are similar and maybe two out of the 100 are similar. And so if you're developing a drug um, for something that works in 2% of the population, but you're testing it in all 100 because you have no way to understand how to choose those 2%, of course it's going to fail. And so that's probably why um, we've been embarrassed as scientists that we can't figure it out is because we've been testing it in the whole population rather than trying to identify patient, uh, identify the appropriate subsets. Yeah, and that, and for years, were they just every, no matter who, how, what kind of cancer and whatever, they just kind of would treat it the same way? I mean, as yeah, I- the, the best example is <clears throat> really um, with breast cancer, because that was the first time really that we understood what was driving a tumor. And that's the est- that's estrogen and the estrogen receptor. That's why if we're diagnosed with breast cancer, the first thing they do is look to see, do we 
express the estrogen receptor, and if so, we get um, we get a drug called tamoxifen or another type of anti-estrogen or something that works in that pathway, and they work really well. Um, you know, breast cancer used to be such a death sentence, and now a lot of women um, uh, get cured of breast cancer. And then along came the drug called Herceptin, where we realized that, oh, there's some women, subset of women, about 15%, that they don't express the estrogen receptor. They're not helped by these drugs, but they have this this amplified gene called HER2. And uh, if they have this amplified gene called HER2, then they're helped with another drug uh, called um, Herceptin. And now um, that's a drug that's sold by Genentech and and Roche, and they just came out and developed an even better drug or a better drug combination. So those women are are now helped. Um, and uh, there's certain types of colon cancer now where we understand how to match a drug, a certain type of lung cancer we understand how to match a drug. Um, but in other types of cancer, we still don't have that understanding. And, and your... Your personal experience with um, ovarian cancer is is what inspired you to start the Clarity Foundation. Is that correct? Yes, that's that's right. But you know, Matt, I have to say, I just got damn lucky. I mean, you know, I eventually I did have my tumor profiled, but I got so lucky because um, I'm six years out now and. I, um, I've never had a recurrence, knock on wood, and, um, you know, that's just not the typical case, um, but I'm, I'm so thankful and so grateful for that. But, yes, I started the Clearity Foundation after I finished my, I had, I had a surgery, I had chemotherapy, that wipes you out for a good you know, six months to a year, and once I got my energy back and um, I said, oh, well, I need to help other women who um, don't have the same background that I have, and, you know, we need to uh, stop this one-size-fits-all approach when the cancer comes back because we're never going to have the success if we continue down this path. We've been doing it, you know, for 40 years, why keep beating our head against the wall? So yeah, 2007 is when I started it, started it up and we launched in, uh, I think that towards the end of 2008. And th that was a pretty revolutionary sort of way to approach treatment. Was it not? I mean, it, it hadn't been done prior to that. What, or, well, it had, it hasn't, been applied to ovarian cancer. Uh, it's being applied in other kinds of cancer. Um, you know, some some people would say that it's still revolutionary because it's, you know, quote unquote, quote unquote, unproven, meaning there hasn't been definitive clinical trials run. But one thing that is proven is just that the current drugs don't work very well um, and that recurrent ovarian cancer is a death sentence and that we need to do something different than what we've been doing. Um, so it's our, um, 
yes, we're we're trying to do something different and think about each woman battling recurrent ovarian cancer as an individual rather than as a population. And and I think a lot of and I if correct me if I'm wrong, but your foundation helps with this is because a lot of people, I think get. When they're dealing with doctors and whatnot, they get intimidated and they get afraid to ask questions and they sort of just go along with whatever the hospital and doctors are doing. And you help guide guide that a little bit more. Am I correct? We get so intimidated. I mean, even I look, I look back at myself, you know, the first time I went to my oncologist and I was, I was an idiot. I mean, here I am, you know, I, I deal with this every day and I couldn't think of an intelligent question. I mean, I was just like a blubbering idiot. And, um, I, I, so I can so relate to how, you know the 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 diagnosis the the scariness of it the fact that we really it doesn't sink in um we're like you know yeah just tell me what to do and we kind of don't question is it the right thing um you know i mean if you I don't know what an analogy would be, but, you know, if you wanted, uh, you know, if you went to buy a car or a house, you wouldn't just tell, you wouldn't just let somebody tell you what to do. You would want to pick one out. (laughs) So, yeah, and, but we have to, we don't think about that when it comes to, you know, our, our treatment. And in fact, this goes way beyond cancer. I mean, you know, the whole concept of, of drugs and how well do they work in a population, you know, um, uh, take antidepressants, for example, gosh, they don't work very, you know, they don't work very often. Um, uh, we should think, you know, how, how can you individualize that? Um, if you look at antibiotics, they're very much individualized now. Everybody, you know, Nobody would think about treating without understanding what is the bacteria that's causing the infection. Um, you know, it's, it's not a random treatment with antibiotics. Right. And, like, why is it that, like, isn't, does chemo not work with some individuals or some cancer, or is it? And, and... Oh, yeah, that's a great, uh, so chemo, so chemo, everybody says chemo, 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 chemo. That's like the um, most, I mean, kind of a te- everyone wants to, that's the last thing you want to get involved with when you have cancer everybody i know is just like oh god well we you know we don't know that there's multiple types of chemotherapy you know oftentimes when i talk with people that have cancer diagnosis what are you being treated with i'm being treated with chemotherapy well what kind of chemotherapy well isn't chemo chemo no it's not so that's the first thing that you know if i could get across to anybody that's listening to this if you're if you're battling cancer and you're on chemotherapy find out what kind it is what is the name of it and how does it work because you know there are probably a dozen different classes of chemotherapy agents and in those dozen different classes there's probably a hundred different chemotherapy agents 
and they all they don't you know people say oh chemotherapy is so indiscriminate that's why it's so toxic um, and well um, it actually chemotherapy has specific ways that it acts on a tumor cell and if you don't have if your tumor cell is not dividing in that particular way, the chemotherapy is not going to be helpful to you. So we have to, you know, um, we, we can we can actually prioritize chemotherapy that in in this day and age as to what might be the most beneficial to you or what might not benefit you at all. And then you throw on top of the chemotherapy the newer molecular targeted agents like the antiestrogens, like Herceptin, and therefore it becomes um, not just to patients but sometimes to doctors as well a quagmire of how do I figure this out? Um, and uh, uh, but but we can figure it out. It's just that. We're not, we're not taught how to do this, um, but this is what we're trying to do. Not just the Clarity Foundation, but there's a whole host of scientists, physicians, clinicians, bioinformaticists, um, biologists that are trying to make sense of the genomic information as it relates to treatment decisions. And if if someone is diagnosed with cancer what are what would you suggest that maybe some of the questions they could start asking so they could maybe head in the right direction is that is that an easy thing to answer or is that too complicated so the i, I would uh, it <laughs> yeah it's all it's all fairly complicated but let's to make it let's simplify it and let's talk first about people that are newly diagnosed and then let's talk about people that maybe have recurrent cancer because I think there's a different set of questions for if you're newly diagnosed to compare to if you have recurrent disease. So let's take the newly diagnosed situation first. Um, I think uh, you want to ask, what kind of cancer do I have? How do you know that I have that kind of cancer? What um, What is the treatment for my cancer? And what is the prognosis, meaning how likely is it that that treatment is going to be effective? Because for some cancers, um, and and now let's take for example prostate cancer because there was a recent there's recently been some new medications that have come out for uh, hormone refractory prostate cancer that gives um, such a better prognosis than it used to be even a year ago and so sometimes you know you have cancer where the treatment really works and you know when when if you have that kind of confidence then you can go along with what the doctor says you know and and get the standard of care treatment um but if the prognosis from the standard of care treatment 
is, <clears throat> let's say, 30%, where you only have a 30% chance that it's going to work, then you have to say, well, why am I, okay, it's a 30% chance. Why why is this drug right for me? What What can we do to understand if I have a better or worse possibility that the drug is going to be effective? <clears throat> and sometimes, you know, <clears throat> well, it's interesting to to know just how doctors think about um, what drugs to use, because as scientists, we often think, well, what are the, what's causing that disease? What's causing the tumor cell to grow and divide? But typically doctors, they, they have a recipe book. It's called the NCCN guidelines. And that recipe book says, if you have this kind of cancer, you should be treated with these drugs. Um, and if you're treated with these drugs, you have this percent chance that it will work. Um, but even with a low percent chance, you're not, they don't necessarily think, oh, should I treat with something else? They still will follow that recipe. And that can, um, and that can be dangerous or? It's not, well, you know, the, the, um, we have to recognize that the way drugs are developed is they're based on the population. So again, take that 100 people that have the same kind of cancer. It works in 30% of them. You know, the drug before it might have worked in 10%. So now you have a much better, you have a drug that works better because it works in 30% of the people or 50% or 60% or 70%. That's a pretty good percentage. But if you're an individual and you're in that 30% that it doesn't work in or 70% that it doesn't work in, you know, that's where an individualized approach comes in. That's where it makes the most sense. And we've made great strides in certain kinds of cancer in order to do that, breast cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer. We just haven't made good strides in other kinds of cancer, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, brain cancer, certain types of sarcomas. So um, we have a long way to go. But the number one question is, how, what is the treatment I'm on? How is it going to work on my cancer? How do we know if it's working? How long, you know, will, how long will it take to know if it's working? And if it doesn't work, what then? Those are the questions that you should ask. Okay. Um, there's another, this is a, unless I'm just, it's the people I know, but I have known, I've had a couple friends and then acquaintances, or I keep hearing stories lately of younger, and it's how, it seems like a lot of people in their 20s and 30s getting cancer, and is that kind of a new trend, or is it just that I'm knowing I just happen to be unlucky enough to be associated with oh, gosh i know that's i it's very sad when our young you know young people get cancer and oftentimes those really are the aggressive cancers for some reason 
and um, and they often are difficult to treat. And yes, I mean, I um, I, I don't think that there's more right now. I mean, you know, cancer is typically a um, a disease of aging, but you know, off, but but sometimes it happens in in younger people, and those are the more difficult cases. Yeah, because like it seems like uh, I've I've heard of a couple cases of a, like acquaintance or friends of friends who have gotten uh, yeah. brain cancer, and I just had a friend who's I think like thirty five, and he just got he uh, he testicular cancer, and it just I'm. I, I, I can't it, help but wonder. It's shocking, isn't it? Yeah, it's shocking. Well, well, look, it's your generation. It's the young generation that's going to change this because this is the era of information. I mean, we have information at our fingertips, you know, any kind of information we want. Why don't we have information about our cancer at our fingertips? We certainly should. I mean, the young generation is going to demand, kind of like I demand, you know, I demand that people have their tumor profiles. I demand that people get their molecular information. People should demand that. They should demand to uh, put it out there in the public domain um, so that people um, can look at it, try to make sense of it, and say, oh, here's these patterns that are developing, even if these patterns are at a low percent, here's the way that we can maximize effectiveness of certain new treatments that are being developed. So, um, you know, we kind of started off talking about, you know, ways to, potential ways to get that information out there. And uh, you mentioned uh, our friend Michelle and uh, getting her um, hooked up with the 23andMe genetic testing. And I just signed up for that myself. You know, now this is a little bit different. 23andMe is a little bit different. This is where you're you're looking at your normal DNA, not your tumor DNA. DNA, but your normal DNA, and they're they're analyzing it for something called SNPs. It probably doesn't mean anything to most of your listeners, but single nucleotide, Sounds single cute, nucleotide though. polymorphisms. Yes, you can you can throw that around. Hey, uh, did you get your SNPs analyzed? That's a real good line everybody for the bars. Yeah, well, everybody should have it done. Everybody should put their information out there because this is the way that we are going to understand more about disease, more about the heterogeneity of disease, and um, hence be able to have customized treatments that will give people a chance. Um, And, of course, I'm a big believer in this for anybody that has cancer. You know, what is my molecular profile? What does my DNA tell me about my cancer? How can I put this out there in the public domain for people to look at it? Um, Now, it doesn't have to be associated with you as an individual if you don't want, but, you know, that's the way that we're going to change this is for hundreds of thousands of people to put 
to, um, you know, put their genetic profile, first their normal DNA, and then any disease states that they have. You know, we, Clearty Foundation, uh, is advocate for, for um tumor DNA, uh, and get it out there so that people can analyze it and um, we can develop better customized treatments. And does the the SNPs, <laughs> I don't know why, it keeps making me think of Wesley Snipes for some reason, <laughs> but does that give you, is it sort of the result of that test to say you possibly are going to, you are a candidate for it? So what it, it, it talks it, it, yeah. it, it, um, so analyzing your SNPs is usually about uh, disease susceptibility. So are you susceptible to diabetes? Are we susceptible to Parkinson's? Are we susceptible to Alzheimer's? I mean, not everybody wants to know that. It's pretty but, daunting. You know, but um, but usually. Knowledge is power. And, you know, if you could, if you knew that you were going to get a particular disease or you had a higher probability to get a particular disease, you know, many of us, not all of us, but many of us would change our lifestyle. You know, if that meant moderating our carbs or doing, uh, you know, I mean, certain diseases like Alzheimer's, very difficult because there's no real known way to prevent that yet, um, but there's other diseases where you can take very preventative measures. Um, and um, then also it tells us a lot about uh, the, the genetics of the disease where we could identify treatments that work better. Are the, do you, is there any results with the SNPs test that might say drink more bourbon? <laughs> is that, um, I'm hopeful that that is something I I, I get as a diagnosis. <laughs> more there, um, there, we we well you know let's if you get enough people out there to do the test maybe that's what it will um, maybe that's what it will kick back for a subset you might be in that subset but you never know unless we can get a hundred thousand people to do it so let's w work on that and you know I I think in ovarian cancer for example. You know, we need to get 10,000 people um, to get their information out there. Um, and uh, but it might. Um, so, yes, go get 100,000 of your friends, have them send their, you know, it's very easy for, I mean, the, the tumor profiling that we do is a little bit more complicated because we've got to go to the path lab and we've got to get a chunk of the tumor and get it sent out to the labs. But for the the SNP analysis, the germline testing, all you have to do is spit in a tube and um, they get your DNA from that. So it's very non-invasive. So go get 100,000 of your friends to spit in a tube and maybe it will come back that uh, you, a subset of you would have a longer and more productive life by drinking lots of bourbon. <laughs> oh, we can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> And now, like, this, these treatments, I mean, we have such a large population with no health insurance in this country. 
and probably, I mean, if you're diagnosed with cancer and you don't have health insurance, you're probably in a, it's not going to work out, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, well, I would say, you know, when you don't have health insurance, if you have any major disease, gosh, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's very, it's a much, much more difficult road. And certainly, um, they're going to be using the standard of care generic drugs before they try the newer ones that may even have a better likelihood to work but are more expensive. And I think, you know, that's where we can actually save money by doing the molecular profiling. I mean, the the Clarity Foundation, the way that we handle the situation is we try to take the cost component out of the equation because we will pay for the profiles to be completed if they're not covered by insurance or we'll pay for them to be completed if the person is uninsured. We just want the cost component to be removed. But in actuality, you know, if you think about it, the most expensive drug is the one that doesn't work. So if we can adopt a way to analyze people's, you know, uh, tumors or whatever the disease is to help identify which drugs may work better, or even if we identify drugs that won't work at all, at least we won't give people drugs that have toxicity without benefit. And so I, I think that we, I, I believe that the insurance companies will save money by adopting this approach of, of paying for the profiles. And they're, they're really not that expensive compared to the cost of the drugs, but they, but they are expensive. Um, and in the long run, we'll, we'll, we'll save the healthcare system dollars. And what are ways, because I was, I was just thinking like when you said like you, you, your mass was the size of a grapefruit, is there, are there things that individuals can be aware of, especially with something like ovarian cancer, that, where they would be able to catch things sooner, or is it just kind of? Yeah, I mean, um, so uh, I was over the holidays was visiting with a family who had an, a, a relative on the her husband's side of the family and uh, was just diagnosed with cancer kind of at a late stage. And, you know, I went over to see her and she was telling me her symptoms and, um you know, the symptoms are bloating, gassiness, uh, you know, uh, don't have an appetite, um, you know, pain. And, um, you know, this woman that I was talking to, she was having all of those symptoms. And, um, you know, the woman was, I think, 68. And, you know, my um, sister-in-law is, is like, you know, 38. And when we got back in the car, she said, I have those symptoms every month. 
<laughs> you know, I have the symptoms every month. I was, was going to say, yeah, I have some friends who are gassy. So Yeah, right. So that's the problem is that, you know, every time, you know, at least once a month around the time of our periods, you know, we all have some of the symptoms of ovarian cancer. Um, but, you know, ovarian cancer symptoms, it persists. They're not once a month, and they're they're more they're not the regular kinds of things you would get when you have your 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 period, um, and so you have to pay attention to those. And we typically, especially when we're younger, we just dismiss it as oh, it's going to go away, oh, it's going to get better. Um, another uh, family friend uh, had a good friend who's you know, in her early 40s, just diagnosed with uh, advanced colon cancer. And, um, you know, I'm like, wow, uh, she really didn't pay attention to the symptoms because you just think, oh, it's going to get better. Oh, you know, I'm whatever. But you have to, you know, the symptoms of ovarian cancer, pain in the pelvic region, bloating, um, uh the uh, frequent urination, um, really bad poops. I know nobody likes to talk about that. <laughs> Who wants to talk about that? But you know that's a that's a, a pretty big sign, and on uh, and also um, feeling feeling full easily or not having an appetite, and uh, you know then. You should really go to your gynecologist and and uh, get checked out. Um, so those are yeah, those are some of the symptoms. And HPV is 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 that a, a big uh, sort of I don't what would yeah that's a that's um, that's it's it's uh, uh, for for cervical cancer it is. And, and, men, um, and men can, oh, I didn't mean to talk. I just curious because men can carry that is that correct on their uh, yes on their and wieners? i think <laughs> and i yeah right you guys can carry it on your wieners um i just wanted and, to join uh, in with the science uh, talk right <laughs> exactly because i mean but that's and okay that's alarming that i i potentially could have well, that's how we get it on our cervixes. I mean, we don't stick it in there ourselves. You know, oh, here, let me just put that right up there. <laughs> that's, um, that's, yeah, I mean, and the, is it true that men can't be tested for that? Because that just seems like absurd. You know, I'm not an expert in that, but I do know that uh, they're thinking about with the vaccine for HPV, they're thinking about if they haven't done it already, um, giving it to men as well. Um, um, again, I'm, I'm not an expert at that. So, but, but cervical cancer, you know, that is something that can be detected by a pap smear. Ovarian cancer cannot. In fact, that's a big, you know, um, misunderstanding is that people say, well, I went to my gynecologist and I didn't, you know, she didn't catch it. Well, you, 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 you can't catch it with a, you can't, detect it with a pap smear. You can detect it with a physical exam. Um, so just since we're getting um, technical here, for men, when you have a rectal exam, they feel your prostate, right? And that's how they um, are look, they're feeling for it being unusually large. Well, for uh, when we have a vaginal exam, a good 
gynecologist is feeling for the ovaries and feeling to see if there's any lumps on them. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. Yeah, I am done. Oh, okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to. Uh, that was important information. I didn't want to uh, screw that up. Um, and with your own personal story, uh, when you got to the other side of your cancer and you were in the clear, were there any th- things in your that you started? I mean, it must have altered your the way you view your entire life I would imagine was that you're like ah, fuck the mortgage and <laughs> I mean are you it certainly life? did it real it really does it alters your 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 life uh, you get clear real fast on what you want to do and what you don't want to do and you know you you know you ask yourself these the questions of you know hey if i only have 6 months to live what do i want to do um and uh that's yeah you 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 do all of that and for me um you know i before before i was diagnosed with cancer i would i would get up in the morning i would walk the dogs i would go surfing and i would go to work and so then uh after my cancer, when I was asking myself that question, hey, what do I want to do? I realized that, well, I was pretty content because um, I said, well, what I want to do if I only have six months to live is I want to get up, I want to walk the dogs, I want to go surfing, and I want to go to work. But then I realized I wasn't content with my with with the work I wanted to do because I I wanted to really get this concept out there of you know how to individualize treatment for um for women with ovarian cancer particularly recurrent ovarian cancer and um you know how can we do better with what we have now today yes we we need early detection yes we need cures in the future um but if you're in the midst of battling cancer what you need is you need a cure now it's too late for early detection you can't wait for cures for the future so i wanted to uh, do you know, do something that was doing better with what we already have. And then I also realized that, you know, um, I was thinking about drug development in the, in the wrong way and that I was thinking about how to, you know, target things very specifically in a cancer cell. And um, I realized, well, that's not the right approach because of all of this heterogeneity that exists, not just across the 100 people that we had lined up against the wall, but if you look at everybody's individual tumors, there's differences that exist within that tumor itself. And if we're going to affect more cures for people, we have to have developed drugs that have more pleiotropic effects. What that means is that they act in a broader fashion. And so, um, anyway, a year and three months ago, I helped to get a new company off the ground called Cleave Biosciences, and that's what we're doing. We're targeting um, particular pathways inside a tumor cell where when you stick a monkey wrench in them, um, they're going to have uh, broad effects uh, to prevent the the growth and survival of that cancer cell. And so... 
um, that's what I do during the day now, and I still, of course, volunteer my time at at, at Clarity Foundation. And I want to I want I, 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 uh, I to touch on the uh, surfing because <laughs> I think that's I, I wish I could I've body surfed. Cause... Yeah, well, it's great, isn't it? It's a. I mean, did have you have you you know really ridden the waves, body surfing? Have you I, have my, you is... caught them and you know let them? I mean, it's a, it's a, such a high surfing, such a high. Uh, I've I probably haven't caught them like you have, but uh, I also get real ashamed of my body with no shirt on, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to sh- shame anybody on the beach there for t- ruin their day. Uh, hey, you know what? You got to get over that. I guess that's the other thing that I had to do is because I got this big old scar now on my stomach. And well, plus now I'm, I'm 55 and it's not pretty and nothing's pretty anymore. But, um, you know, at the time, I, I always wore a two piece bathing suit, you know, and I like, well, I wanted to have a flat stomach and look good. And then, you know, I had this big incision and then my surgeon sewed me up wrong and it kind of all puckers so but uh, so but you just got to get over it you just go and have fun anyway so <laughs> is, is, is there you're in san francisco is there a lot of, is there a lot of surfing up there or is it yeah not? well i'm up here in san francisco now right i spent a uh, 10 years in San Diego, which is actually when I learned to surf. And um, I, I do a little surfing up here, but it's so cold, especially at the moment. And it's a, it's more of an endurance test up here than, uh, you know, um, just enjoying the, 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 the water and the, the, peace and serenity of being in the ocean and um uh so it's uh i i typically wait until i go back to san diego to get my surf time in now do you is are there more sharks up in san francisco and i have to bring that up just so i could get my two uh, biggest fears into one show cancer and sharks <laughs> <laughs> you know i think there are more sharks up here um the, the i i think everybody that is a surfer we we probably don't pay attention to it it's like um you know when i'm standing on the beach i don't go mm, i wonder if there's any sharks out there <laughs> and <laughs> it's a, it's a i guess that i uh, that's the same about our daily lives with cancer we don't wake up every day and go hmm, i wonder if i'm going to get cancer today that's uh, you know because i'm very neurotic oh uh, <laughs> uh, okay all right i mean but you know when we do you know when we do get cancer, we live our life differently. And, you know, we don't wake up every morning going, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to get hit by a car today. Right. But, you know, if we did say that, we would we would spend that day very differently for sure if we, you know, we knew we were going to get hit by a car. Um, so, yeah, I don't stand at the beach and go, hmm, I wonder if there's sharks out there. Um, I have freaked myself out once thinking I did. Uh, there was a shark out there and I was the only one in the water. And uh, I was like, oh, how am I going to get back in? But, you know, yeah. that's. I saw Jaws. Jaws came out when I was, uh, I don't I think I was like six or something. And <laughs> it it I was terrified to take a bath for a long time. <laughs> I mean, it's true, and it's like that it's was a great of, movie, wasn't it? It scarred yeah. me though, and and uh, I I, do, I love the ocean as well. Um, but there's always that music in the back of my head when I'm in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, uh, yeah, Jaws. That was a that was a, quite a movie. And, and I just want to: is there anything we missed with the with your foundation, or anything that uh, you would like to? Well, I would say, Matt, that for you know all your listeners who might you know be battling cancer or who might have loved ones that that are to you know really. Um, be um work with the your oncologist to try to get a treatment that is individualized for you or for them versus one that was developed for a population and that you know it seems like um as more and more of these drugs are being developed that require testing to show that you have a particular mutation before you're given the drug. The the physicians are becoming more and more accepting that, yes, I've got to go in there, I've got to get a tumor biopsy. I mean, in ovarian cancer, it's pretty easy because everybody has surgery, so everybody gets their tumor ripped out. But, you know, in many kinds of cancers, they don't, surgery isn't indicated and so that means that they have to go in and get a biopsy but more and more now people are willing to go in and get a biopsy and you know um, there are laboratories across the country that specialize in doing this molecular profiling and they're the labs that um, uh, some of the labs that we work with and uh, many labs that we don't, and it's not so important as to which lab that you work with, but it's important that you get the testing done. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, a young person who she was born in 63, so I don't know how old that makes her almost. I was 50, yeah. you know, almost 49. So she's the same age as I was and uh, when, when I was diagnosed. And I'm sitting here looking at her, you know, um, just got in her molecular alterations saying, holy shit, this is, you know, um, you know, I haven't seen this before. And maybe there's a clinical trial that is right for her. And I, I guess that would be the one other thing that I would say is that if you're going to get on a clinical trial, and I really encourage that. Make sure it's the one that's right for you, not one that is just at an institution that you're going to. You know, ask why it is that, you know, this clinical trial is for you. Um, and if there's any way that we can be helpful at the Clarity Foundation to hook you up with these these labs that do this type of molecular profiling, that do this type of genetic testing, or we'd be happy to to you know provide that information. And is, is the Clarity Foundation? What's the website for them? It's www.clarityfoundation.org, and it is Clarity spelled clear as in a clear day. So um, it started out because I had a clear cell carcinoma. It started out as clear as in clear cell carcinoma, but now we say clear as in a clear day because that's what that's what we want for people. You know, we want them to have another clear day. You never, once you have a cancer diagnosis, you never think you're going to get your life back. I was lucky. I got my life back. And that's what we're trying to get for everybody else. We're trying to get them a clear day. 
So www.clearityfoundation.org. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor, and uh, you know, it's uh, we 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 sacrifice a lot here uh, to put this podcast out there, and so if you could maybe donate some money, that'd be incredibly helpful because uh, I do like to eat things other than lentils. Um, if you can't afford to donate, hey, I understand, man. These are times of toughness and struggle, but you can. Perhaps the next time you shop on Amazon, you can go to my link on the page there at feralaudio.com. Go to my page and use the link to go to Amazon, and I get a kickback for that money. I get a kickback that uh, Follow me on uh, the Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer, and uh, I have a couple Tumblr pages and all that stuff that you can see through. So, uh, hey. Thanks for listening to my show.
the branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.